Our scripture this morning, um, there are actually two. The first is from the second chapter of Acts, and it begins with verse 14, and then it picks up again at verse 32. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And the second reading is from the prophet Micah. Chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. This is Micah has indicted the people. He has, he has brought the Lord's lawsuit against them. And the people ask, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams with 10,000 rivers of oil shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul and Micah answers he has showed you O man what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So today we begin the third week of Unbinding Your Heart Churchwide Lenten Study. And Stony Brookers are taking part in this together. As a matter of fact, there are more than 250 people of all ages and stages in our church participating in the study in groups that meet on Sunday to Friday. Last week from the pulpit, we talked about the prayer plunge. So when you came in this morning, you may have seen all these sticky notes stuck all over the place and wondered what in the world is that? Well, um, our prayer witness last week was Vaden Mallon, uh, one of our high schoolers from the youth group. She talked to us about how her prayer life has been enriched through going through the 40 days of uh, prayer. 
and, and learning to add that practice to her life on a daily basis. What Vaden doesn't know, because she was my prayer partner, is how important it was for me to receive a text from a 16-year-old girl in the middle of my week, hey, Pastor Nikki, I'm praying for you. It's awesome. It is so powerful. And you know, those messages always came to me in a time when I needed it most. So as Vaden's prayer life has grown stronger, I've ended up feeling a deepening of my own prayer life as well. And we challenged the congregation last week. We handed each person three sticky notes in their folder, and we asked them to go out into the church and to stick a sticky note on those places where they felt nudged by God to be praying. How are you doing in your commitment to pray? Because it feels like you're doing awesome. We're seeing all kinds of amazing things happen around here. I feel some really good energy coming from this study. This week, we're going to examine the real life in respect to living as a converted community. I want to thank Christy DeVries for her honest and eloquent video witness. I've been participating in a life group or have before um, participated in a life group with Christy and her honesty is so refreshing it helps me to know that I'm not alone in my journey as I step my way forward pursuing my faith in the scripture from Acts this morning Peter was standing before this crowd of people and he's urging them to repent and be baptized and I was just wondering, what in the world made Peter think that he had the ability to stand up and speak before these people? Because you see, Peter, not too long before, had been told by Jesus, you are going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And Peter said, no, no, Jesus. I will follow you anywhere. I would never deny you. And lo and behold, Peter denied Christ three times. And when the cock crowed, he knew it. He knew he had betrayed the Lord. And yet Peter stood before the people witnessing to them that they should repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The people all knew what had happened. What do you think made Peter so believable? Why did God choose him? There were other disciples that God could have chosen to witness to that Pentecost miracle. My husband is a backpacker, which means he likes to go out camping in the wilderness and carry everything that he needs with him on his back. I don't. 
I like to carry it from the car to my hotel room. <laughs> or maybe from the car to the campsite. But before Matt goes on a backpacking excursion, he, he likes to do his research. He gets online and he searches for reviews of people who have backpacked to this place before. You see, he's not looking for the most perfect Facebook pictures or the most eloquent blogger or the gourmet backpacker who somehow manages to cook, um, I don't know, chicken cordon bleu while he's backpacking. Matt wants the nitty-gritty information about the experience on the trail. What were the toughest parts of the trail and what made those parts tough? What mistakes did the hikers feel like they made? Where did they run into trouble and how did they get themselves out? You see, he's not interested in the prettiest picture or even hearing from the most advanced hikers. He looks for people who aren't too far ahead of his skill level and he tries to find ones who have been there before him. Why? He wants to find people who are honest enough about the troubles that they've had to talk about them because that's what helps him, a less experienced backpacker, succeed on his journey. You see, the people that were in that crowd at Pentecost listened to Peter because Peter was real. He had just denied Christ three times and the cock crowed and he said, I did it. I promised I wouldn't and I did it. And he walked away weeping bitterly. But we know from John's gospel in chapter 21 that Peter was restored. He was forgiven. Because for each of the three times that he had denied Christ in John's gospel, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Each time that Peter repents and answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Jesus restores him to leadership in a new way first. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Second, he says, take care of my sheep. And the third time, he says, feed my sheep. With each one of those answers, Peter is forgiven and restored. Peter stood before the crowd having experienced both the devastation of his sin and the restoration of a life that is right with God. Peter had experienced his own doubt. He had denied Christ himself as the people were doubting the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter was able to speak to the crowd because he had sinned and been forgiven himself. Jesus didn't just restore him to relationship. Jesus restored Peter to leadership. I once read this story, I think it was in Chicken Soup for the Soul, 
about a young man whose grandfather had given him a slingshot. And the young man was horrible at this slingshot. He tried and he tried again, and he knew that he would need to practice, so he set up tin cans out on the fence posts, and he gathered up stones, and he shot and shot and shot at those cans, and he never hit a one. And he was frustrated at his inability to shoot, and one day as he was walking back to the house, he took the largest of the pebbles and he took aim at his grandmother's pet duck. And he hit the duck. And he killed it. And the young man felt terrible. He felt awful. It was his grandmother's beloved pet. And he was so ashamed. And so he took the duck and he hid it under the hay in the family's barn. But his older sister saw what he had done. I'm an older sister. (laughs) And she said, I saw what you've done. I'm going to tell Grandma. Unless. See, I really don't like to do the dishes after dinner. And I really hate mucking out the horse stalls every morning before breakfast. So if you do my chores, I won't tell Grandma. And so the young man took it upon himself to do his sister's chores. And each time he would go to the barn in the morning and his sister would go do her thing, whatever she wanted, the boy felt his shame and his regret again. And about a week and a half into his sentence, the young man was elbow deep in suds standing next to his grandmother in the kitchen and he looked at her, tears in his eyes, and he said, Grandma, I'm so sorry. I killed your duck. And she said, I know. I saw the whole thing through the window. And I was just wondering how long it was going to take for you to choose not to stay a slave to your shame. When we sin and we do the wrong thing, when we sin and we separate ourselves from God, we want to hide it like that young man hid that duck. I spend a lot of time in the church during the week and I see moms and dads bringing their little ones in for preschool and this week I was watching a mom and her little girl interact and her little girl was kind of being impish and she kept taking something from her mom and hiding it like under her shirt as if mom couldn't see or behind her back as if mom couldn't see. Eventually, she hid behind her eyes as if mom couldn't see because if she can't see mom, then mom can't see her. We do that with God. We think if I just hide my shame and my sin, God can't see me. If I just hide 
my shame and my sin. No one else will know. When Peter stood and he spoke to the crowd, he knew from experience what it was like to be enslaved to that kind of shame. And he knew what it was like to be free. So he could tell the crowd, repent of your sins and be baptized. According to Martha Grace Reese, who's the author of the study that we're doing, Unbinding Your Heart, the Christian life has two aspects that are inseparable. First, the Christian life has to be real. It has to be transparent. And second, it has to be relational. And because it's real and relational, that means Christian life is messy. <coughs> Excuse me. It's intuitive and spontaneous, supportive and instructive. And my favorite part, it is truly in touch with joy. Martha Grace Reese describes churches that are powerful witnesses to the Christian life. She says they're churches that are real and you can walk into them and you can feel that God is all over them. Don't you want somebody to walk in here and feel that God is all over you? I do. I want somebody to say, ooh, the Holy Spirit's all up on her. I think that's awesome. She uses the Trinitarian metaphor for the way that these real church communities live and operate and do evangelism. She says there are three relationships that are distinct, but constantly interacting and influencing one another. First, there's the relationship with God. Second, there's the relationship between church members. And third, there's the relationship with those outside the church. And each relationship is connected so strongly to the other that if one is out of balance or out of whack, it affects the others. Christy mentioned this morning in her faith story, she said at first she didn't even know that she was enslaved. She didn't recognize that she needed forgiveness from God and that that forgiveness would set her free. But as she came into this community and found a place for herself, a place where she could be her true self, where she could make mistakes and practice and ask questions, where she could learn about hurts and hang-ups with other people, then she was able to come before God and find forgiveness and freedom. We're used to a world rewarding the biggest, the strongest, the smartest, as Grace would call it, the extras. I think that we may forget that in our weakness and in our ability or willingness to be vulnerable about our struggles, our concerns, our doubts, our faults, and our foibles, we are best able to disciple others. 
people can look and they can say, hey, I can find help in here. I'm not alone in my imperfections because someone has hiked or is hiking this trail before me. And as I step in that faith journey, I step out, I can leave my sin and my shame behind. See, the prophet Micah, when he was talking to the people, he was bringing a lawsuit before them and reminding them what the Lord had done for them. And the people knew the answer before they asked it when they asked him, what, what do we have to do, Micah? What, what do we have to do? Is it about all these sacrifices? And Micah says, no, you know what you have to do, and it's the basics, and you've forgotten the basics. To act justly, love, mercy, and walk humbly with God. Again, a trinity of relationships. Intertwined together because justice without mercy and humility isn't justice at all. It's judgment. And mercy without humility and justice has no accountability and humility without justice and mercy is only a word lacking power or any true expression. In our desire to live the real Christian life, transparency is key. We have to be willing to walk humbly with God, with others in our community, and with those outside of our faith community. Sometimes God is healing us and we forget that we needed to be healed in the first place. We should remember the great mercy that God has shown us and share that mercy. Extend that grace to others. The real Christian life is messy. It's a community of messy and imperfect people all living messy and imperfect lives but the beauty of it is that we're living those lives together, not alone. There is someone who is walking the trail ahead of us. There's someone that's walking the trail beside us. And there's probably someone walking the trail behind us. God continues to show the way to his people through his people. The Bible is our written account of his love. And conversion is an ongoing process. We continue to die to the things in ourselves that separate us from God every day. And with each death, God resurrects in us the children and the community that he has imagined us to be. So I want to leave you with some questions today. How is your relationship with God? Are you working on it? Like every day? Are you working on it? How is your relationship with other people in this faith community? Do you leave here today and, and not see or hear from anyone all week? Is there a way that you could meet others 
get involved and start growing in your faith. We can't give what we 